What's going on, guys? Hey, Love Tribe. How's it going? Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a very, kind of a, a bit of a heavier show, but uh, an important one. Yes. And we talk about coercive control in relationships or just control, but towards the more severe end, mm-hmm. it, it is abuse and abusive relationships. So we welcome Dr. Lisa Fontes, and she is the author of Invisible Chains, Overcoming Coercive Control in Your Intimate Relationship. And she has spent 25 years as a researcher, advocate, and teacher on topics related to violence against women and children. Yeah. And in today's show, even if you're not experiencing control in your relationship, I think a lot of the things we talk about can be beneficial for your relationship and kind of bring awareness to how you're treating your partner and remembering to be respectful at all times in your relationship. If you're listening and you are identifying that you're in an abusive relationship, please check out the links in our show Mm -hmm. notes to get professional help. That's really the most important thing you could be doing. And Lisa goes over kind of the steps to do, questions to ask yourself, and how to do it. Enjoy today's show. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for ID Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm happy to be here. Today, we're going to talk about coercive control. And we thought a good place to maybe start would be defining it and identifying how someone could know if they're doing it to their partner or if they're on the receiving end. Sure. Course of control is a strategy that some people use to dominate their intimate partners. I can conclude things like intimidating them, isolating them, uh, punishing them, manipulating them, and even physical abuse. Uh, when I think that isolation is a big red flag. So naturally, when people are getting involved in a relationship, they may spend some more time alone together and less time with friends and family. But it can become really extreme in course of control relationships. So people find their worlds getting smaller and smaller. And that's a good red flag that it may be a course of control relationship. In my book, Invisible Chains, uh, there's also a checklist that people can consult to see if they feel like they're in a course of control relationship or maybe they're being too controlling of their partner. It has questions in a bunch of different areas like, does your partner make demands regarding your leaving the house, your phone conversations, your email? Um, Does your partner make demands regarding your sleeping, your wearing certain clothes, your work activities, your eating, and so on. 
So there are um, there's about 100 questions that people can look at. I think it's helpful not only for people to check whether their relationship is a course of control, which is a is kind of on the end of the extreme, but even relationships that are not characterized by the full-blown course of control may have too much control in them for ultimately a happy couple. That is, over time, sometimes when people are living together, they begin to push themselves onto their partner and try to shape their partner too much. And so it can be helpful for couples to take a look at this list and say, you know what? Maybe we really should have separate Facebook accounts or we should, um, you should leave me alone about how often I go see my sister or how much I, I call my mom. Those are just some examples. So if a couple is identifying with these patterns in their relationship, how does that dialogue even begin? Because I'm sure for, you know, somebody who is possibly feeling controlled, it might feel very intimidating to almost stand up to their partner and say, hey, this has got to stop. Something has to change. If there really is a coercive control relationship, then it's really one person abusing another. Um, They may not be physically abusing them, but one person is dominating their partner and, and quite deliberately. And so you're absolutely right. It's wrong to think that someone could just say, hey, honey, you know, cut it out. Um, because the controlling person is getting certain advantages of over-dominating their partner. So there really are a lot of steps involved. I think a very important first step is for the person who's being controlled to be able to expand their social world. So, you know, as I said, isolation is a big hallmark of there being a problem. So breaking that isolation is a big part of getting free from coercive control. So, um, testing the waters. You know, I would like to uh, go back to that chorus that I used to belong to. Um, I would like to go for a walk with my friends every morning. Um, whatever it is that that person feels they need that will help them be less isolated. And through being less isolated, they will become stronger and then able to make some decisions about the relationship. If the relationship really feels unsafe or potentially unsafe, then I recommend um, that they, the person who feels controlled, contact their local domestic violence organization. That doesn't mean they're going to leave, um, but they talk with a counselor there. Um, usually you can do it on the phone or in person and assess their situation. Come up with a safety plan. See if they really need to make some big changes or even some small changes. Um, that conversation can be really helpful, even if they're not going to take any big action. Can we talk a little bit about the strategies a partner might be employing to control their partner that might be subtle? And I would imagine if you're in a relationship where your partner's controlling, it might be like all you know. And and so identifying it uh, may be hard. So I know they're kind of unique in, in the way that they're manipulating their partners. So what can someone ask themselves or how can they look into this to to try to identify that there's even a problem? Usually the person who's being controlled feels that something's wrong. Um, sometimes they blame themselves because the abuser is blaming them. So um, the abuser is saying, if only you wouldn't. You know, if only you wouldn't insist on going out all the time, or if only you wouldn't make me mad, then I wouldn't have to yell at you. Um, 
but the person who's being controlled feels like their world is getting smaller and smaller. Another red flag is they feel like they have to walk on eggshells or have to they have, they feel like they can do nothing right, and they um, are constantly being caught doing something wrong, um, and and that something really varies depending on um, the couple. Um, it might be something as simple as getting home from work uh, five or ten minutes late, and their uh, their partner, who's you know their abuser, I can use I'm going to use that word loosely here, um, is yelling at them. You know, where were you? What you were? What were you doing? And maybe accusing them of being um, unfaithful. Um, so sometimes the person who's being controlled restricts their own world. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth going out to see my sister when I'm going to get home and I'm going to get yelled at. Um, the isolation can also happen in other ways. So maybe the controlling partner will get drunk when there are friends over and em- embarrass her. And um, I'm going to be slipping into using um, her as the person who's being victimized and him as the person who's controlling, because that really is the most common scenario, but it can go in other directions. So maybe every time they have people over, he gets drunk, he embarrasses her, and so she doesn't want to have people over as much. Um, if at all, um, maybe he badmouths her to her friends, or maybe he badmouths the friends to her. Maybe he says bad things about her family, and so she feels like she can't invite them over and doesn't want to go see them. And over time, her world just keeps getting smaller, and she feels worse and worse about herself, too. When you mention the infidelity aspect of the abuser accusing his partner of infidelity when they were home late. How often do you see that as like a projection of their own insecurities or maybe the infidelity that they may be having and they're projecting that onto their partner? That's a a good uh, idea. That's a good hypothesis that you have there. Um, And I think that a lot of times what you're what you're saying is true that um somebody who is being unfaithful unfaithful will accuse their partner of being unfaithful um or they're just insecure and they feel like they can't live without this relationship it's amazing though how often those jealousies are not just around the idea of sexual infidelity but really around the idea that she might care for anybody else in addition to her partner so even her child, I mean, you can see controlling men being jealous of their of their children, of the attention that she's paying um, to her child. A lot of times domestic violence starts during a pregnancy um, because the abuser just can't stand how connected his partner is to somebody else. They may be jealous of friends as well. So um, sometimes people think, oh, well, that jealousy is a sign of love. It, it's really not a sign of love. Uh, It's a sign of uh, possessiveness, um, insecurity, and control. So where would the abuser start in getting help? Maybe that person's listening to the show and is realizing that they are abusing their partner. Where's the first place for them to work on themselves? Well, it takes a lot of courage, and not a lot of men have this much courage. But really, the best thing to do is find their local batterer intervention group and sign up for um, a series of sessions. It's usually uh, 26 sessions. It depends on where they are. And even if they have not used physical violence, 
um, they can explore patterns of control over their partner. Um, a lot of times people will think, well, I'm not that bad. Everybody else in the group is horrible, but I'm, you know, what I do is really very mild. I probably don't belong here. Um, but over time they'll find, you know, they, it can be a wonderful, wonderful learning experience. Um, if they don't have the courage to do that or aren't ready to do that, or maybe, you know, in some jurisdictions, the better intervention programs will only take people who are mandated by court. Um, they could start, um, reading about, um, course of control. Um, they could enter into therapy with somebody who understands this topic and, and not everybody does. It's really pretty new in, in the U S to be looking at course of control. It's much better known, um, in the UK. I, was approached uh, at a talk I gave by a woman who had bought my book, Invisible Chains, Overcoming Course of Control in Your Intimate Relationship. And she said that she had been in a full-blown course of control relationship years earlier, gotten out of it, and was now married to somebody who was not a course of controller. But she said she looked at that list, that checklist, and decided that there were still some things they needed to work on. And so she and um, her husband, who she described as very kind, sat down together and went over the list to kind of examine, you know, in what ways do we want to allow each other more freedom? Yeah, those degrees to the controlling nature of the abuser, I'm sure. And obviously it can be very bad or it can be subtle. And I know I can be controlling in in some ways when it comes to Sarah, nowhere near the uh, the abuser level, but it's not something I love in myself. And what I realized is that my dad was very controlling and had done some reading and it seems like that just directly translated to me and and then my desire to control things. Is that common? Do you find that um, transfer? That's absolutely common, Chase, that people learn how to be in relationships through observing those relationships around them when they're growing up. And they may choose to follow them. They may choose to follow another model, like maybe the father is abusive to the mother, but they but their uncle is very kind to their aunt and they decide to be more like their aunt. Or in your case, it sounds like we're not talking about abuse, but we're talking about just the kind of general control that men have over women in most cultures, um, over their women partners. And... Um, you know, I commend you for recognizing that and being willing to talk about it and I assume being willing um, to work on it um, with Sarah and figure out what kinds of new patterns might work better. If you think about how girls and boys are raised, I mean, even today when we raise little girls to, you know, be feminists and to, to you know, fight for themselves and be independent and so on, we usually also teach them to take care of the feelings of, of everybody around them, to make sure that everybody's happy and smiling and get your uncle some tea and, and to be pleasing. We teach girls to be pleasing. And we teach boys often to be competitive, to win, to get ahead, to be on top, to get their needs met. So even, you know, it's hard to escape that in this culture, um, even, you know, with families who are trying to do something different at home. And so you put together um, a man who's used to getting his needs met and having that be his top priority with a woman who's used to meeting the needs of those around her and being pleasing, 
And it's not surprising that people can fall into those patterns. Um, the fir- full course of control with isolation and so on is, is more extreme. Um, but as you said, you know, a lot of couples can engage, just fall into these kinds of, you know, patriarchal patterns, if you want to call it that. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being pleasing to one's partner. I think men and women should all be pleasing to their partners. I mean, if not, you know, why are we together? Um, and so I think that that's a great thing to be kind and to be pleasing. But that should not require that one of the people gives up their own dreams, their own sense of who they are and how they want to move in the world. It seems like if it's on the abuse end, that's uh, where it's just very abusive, obviously physically, like extreme, then that requires some pretty intense, um, uh, what's the word? Like Intervention. Intervention, Mm -hmm. exactly. And I think we've covered a, a little bit about that. That's super important. But how about if it's somewhere on the scale where it's not that intense and the, the partner being abused wants to talk about this with the controlling partner, I would imagine the controlling partner is going to get super defensive, deny it. How can they have that conversation? Well, if they're going to get super defensive and deny it and not be open to having that conversation, then it sounds like it's not a safe conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not be encouraging anybody to have a conversation um, that would put them at risk. And I would also not encourage them to go into couples therapy if there is um, any kind of um, fear um, that it's, it, you know, again, it's not a safe thing. Um, so I think a lot of times it's really hard to hear and face that we might be with someone who doesn't want to change and isn't open to changing and isn't open to taking responsibility for, for what they're doing. Um, but that, that does happen. And then a couple needs to reassess. When you just mentioned about not going into couples therapy, can you explain why that would not be a good route to do in that situation? But first, let's take a break and talk about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So you guys are listening to the show right now because you obviously want to improve your relationship and yourself. And one thing that almost all of the therapists say on the show is that professional therapy will only benefit your relationship and not to wait until things get really bad to start therapy, but to start now because it will only help your relationship. So that is why we want to tell you about BetterHelp. Yeah, we're excited to be working with these guys because it helps you connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. So it's super convenient. You can communicate with your therapist via text, chat, phone, and video. And you can choose from over 3,000 licensed therapists from across all 50 states who specialize in relationships, but also depression, stress, anxiety, self-esteem, anger, trauma, and many more areas. And anything you share is confidential. And if you're not happy with the counselor that they pick for you, you can change at any time for no additional charge. And BetterHelp is secure. It is super convenient. You can do it from your home and it's professional. There is really no reason not to do this because Sarah and I get a lot of great information from the show and I've thought, yeah, I got all these great insights, but 
I've gotten just as much new stuff from talking with our therapist. So really valuable. And now you can get 10% off your first month with the discount code I do. So even another reason <laughs> to get another going. One. So get started today. Go to betterhelp.com slash I do. Fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash I do for 10% off your first month. Today's episode is also brought to you by Thrive Cosmetics. Thrive Cosmetics is a beauty brand with a bigger than beauty mission that empowers women everywhere. Thrive Cosmetics makes high performance, vegan, 100% cruelty-free formulas without the use of parabens or sulfates. Their amazing products use skin-loving, performance-driven ingredients that not only highlight your best features, but are formulated for all-day wear. And every product you purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive, including causes like women emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, and women fighting cancer. And this is amazing. They actually just donated a record-setting $30 million worth of their beauty products to more than 50 charities benefiting women. It's amazing. And one of my favorite products is the Bright Balance 3-in-1 Cleanser that is pH balanced, has a gentle formula that removes long-wearing, waterproof makeup, and leaves your skin feeling soft, glowing, and never stripped or dry. And my favorite product of all time that Thrive Cosmetics makes is their Brilliant Eye Brightener. And all the ladies in my life, including my mom, I'm going to call her out right now, has either stolen this eye brightener from me or has ordered their own because they love it so much. And another thing I love about it is that the name of the color that we use is called Stella. And so that's why I love it even more. Our daughter's name. (laughs) Our daughter's name is Stella. Yes. So start thriving and help women in need today by going to thrivecosmetics.com slash I do and use code I do for 15% off your first purchase. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, Medics, M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash I do for 15% off. Thrivecosmetics.com slash I do and use code I do. Sure. So couples therapy assumes that each member of the couple can speak freely in the therapist's office. But in a an abusive relationship or a coercive control relationship, um, if the person who's being victimized speaks freely, when they get home, they're going to get yelled at mm-hmm. or get the silent treatment or worse. And so it's not safe. And so if she's not going to speak freely in the therapist's office, um, it's not going to help. And it also uh, may put her at risk. Um, the other thing is that abusers can be very charming and can often uh, charm therapists into thinking that, you know, she's the problem. It's The problem is that she doesn't want to have sex or the problem is that, you know, she's always nagging at me and so on. And it can be easy to get people to buy into that narrative um, and actually not examine their own control. And so, um, you know, couple therapy really only makes sense if both people are willing to change. But if there's a really, a real imbalance of power, again, it's, it's probably not a safe route to go. 
Right. Well, yeah, thank you for clarifying because that, that makes total sense. And some people feel like they have to do therapy. And like you're saying, in, in that dynamic, it just, it will not be the best route for their particular situation. Right. And, you know, hopefully the therapist would know enough to say, you know, this is not, not a good a good decision here. But unfortunately, a lot of therapists don't, and they don't know what they're facing. And, and so often you'll hear about couples where there is some kind of abuse. You know, they're in therapy, and it's obviously not going to help mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because she can't speak. Um, she can't speak safely. So, Let's say someone listening has identified talking to their controlling partner is safe, and they're really certain about that. Mm-hmm. How, how can that dialogue be brought up, you know, and I say defensive, like maybe the person doesn't realize they're controlling. No one wants to hear that, you know? So, so let's say they get defensive, but it's in a, it's not in a dangerous way. And how, Mm -hmm. how can they have that conversation? Well, I think it might be helpful for them to, to bring some, you know, some things in writing that the um, controlling person might be able to read, you know, on their own. So they don't have to um, just hear it from the person who feels like they're being controlled. And, um, you know, in that case, you know, it's it's possible that, that a therapist or even a member of the clergy might be helpful, but it would have to be a very particular one who is expert in, in these issues. Um, and, and identify particular areas where they would like more freedom. You know, I would like to go back to school, for instance. And, um, and I would like to uh, come home by myself when I go to school, you know, whether it's walking or driving or taking public transportation or, what, or, or whatever. Um, and I know that you're nervous about my going back to school because you, you know there's going to be other men there, let's say. But I want to do it anyway because this is for me and this is my dream. And then and try. Experiment with it. You know, okay, I know you're going to be uncomfortable when I go back to school, but that's what I'm doing for me because I'm an independent person and that's one of my goals. And for that, it can be very helpful for someone who's being controlled to go into individual therapy and really identify what are their goals? What is it they want for their life? You know, as far as we know, we all only have one life. And so um, we shouldn't spend the entire thing uh, thinking only about what our partners want from us, but we also get to have our own individual uh, goals and dreams and develop our talents as separate people. Are there particular people, and I don't want this to, this is not victim blaming at all, mm-hmm. but are there particular personalities that almost might seek someone that's controlling because maybe their father was controlling? Is is that something that happens? I think there are people who choose to go into uh, relationships that are, gen, you know, more traditional in terms of gender um, and that can sometimes involve control, although I don't think it necessarily has to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I've seen is that people can end up in this kind of relationship, you know, almost by accident. Um, I, I'm, you know, I see it more as being in the hands of the person who is more controlling, who might have relationship after relationship where they're dominating their partner. And they just feel like that they feel entitled to yeah they feel entitled to dominate uh their partner like they have a right to have their partner's life revolve solely around them and what creates that dynamic i'm i'm curious how does one become a controlling person 
I think there's a lot of possible elements to it. Um, as Chase mentioned earlier, um, having seen that dynamic in one's parents can be part of it. Um, growing up as a male in this society where, um, you know, if you look at sports and you look at um movies and you look at, you know, so many politics these days, you look at so many sectors of society, you know, men are dominant. And um, so that it just seems kind of natural. And a lot of men are, are raised to believe that this is their right. People toss around the word narcissist a lot. Um, and I think some people who are controlling are narcissistic. I don't find that to be a particularly helpful uh way of looking at it, but some people do. Well, Lisa, there's, I think, a lot of value here in hopefully any listeners out there who are in abusive relationships will will take the initiative to, to get professional help. And yeah, like you said, you you have one life to live and it shouldn't be done in an abusive relationship for sure. And uh, it should be done in a loving one. And to really ask yourself the the tough questions because I, I would imagine the person that's being abused sometimes you know they they have a family or they just they want to think that it's going to get better and and it's got to be so hard and uh, to really take those steps are are there any things you would say to that person to work up the courage to to get help. Most relationships that are um, characterized by abuse and control go through different stages or different periods where, you know, there are is a violent incident or a control, a really controlling incident. And then there may be um, some more happiness and then another incident. And it can look during the more peaceful periods like things have really changed. And often the abuser will promise that they're changing. Um, but it is, it's very hard for abusers to change. They can, but they, it, it takes a tremendous amount of effort. And so the past is the best predictor of the future. And if things have been going bad, don't delude yourself by thinking that they're going to get better. Um, get you know, get some counseling, read about course of control. Um, there are Facebook groups out there for people who are suffering domestic violence. Um, people should be careful, though, because sometimes their partner will be monitoring their computer um, and know all their passwords, even though they haven't given them up. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, issues of surveillance and stalking. Um, most communities in the U.S. have a domestic violence agency, and you can, can find it by going to domesticshelters.org and find your local agency. Um, set up an appointment with a counselor there. Uh, maybe even talk on the phone. Um, there's no charge for this. And um, you can, you know, it'll give you some help in assessing your situation and uh, figuring out, you know, what you want to do, whether it's leaving, it's staying and trying to improve things, um, you know, expanding your social world. I mean, there's a whole lot of different things that one can do. People sometimes think, oh, if I make the call, I have to move into a shelter. And that's just not true at all. Um, you, you always retain control of what you do. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for all this very important information for coming on the show. Before we wrap up, 
Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online and if there's any key things that they can think about when it comes to controlling relationships? And then we'll say goodbye. Sure. Um, So my website is lisafontes.com. I also have a column at psychologytoday.com called uh, Invisible Chains. Uh, My latest book is Invisible Chains, Overcoming Coercive Control in Your Intimate Relationship. I want to mention that sometimes coercive control relationships can feel very intense in both the good ways as well as the bad ways. And so that also can make them um, hard to leave and and hard to evaluate. Um, there's a lot of mind control that happens in a course of control relationship. And so um, the person who's being controlled a lot of times thinks, I cannot live without this person. And uh, it takes a little while um, to discover, you know, that actually um, you can um, if that's what's required. So thank you for this opportunity. It's been great speaking with you. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll have the link to your book and your website on our show notes page on idpodcast.com. And yes, thank you so much for, for joining us. My pleasure. Hi, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, We also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, We encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, we are all here for each other. Um, The group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam, and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week